In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we are joined by Tamar Hallerman, AJC Enterprise reporter, and also, like all of us, coronavirus reporter these days, to talk about the wild past week in the Georgia coronavirus response. Tamara, thanks for joining us. Desperately trying to keep up, reporter. I think you need to add that to my my bio. Oh my goodness, what a week. Yeah, I think that's safe to say about everyone in the AJC newsroom right now is that we're trying to keep up with the blizzard (laughs) of news and how quickly things are changing. And it's hard to even plan the day, let alone for for weekend coverage um, in our our big Sunday paper where we we try to have, you know, long, thoughtful, um, well-planned stories when when, (laughs) when, when, when we have weeks like this one. Yeah, and I was just telling you before we started recording this, I had been spending the last couple of days pulling together a bunch of material for a Sunday piece that was going to kind of pull together what we know about uh, Georgia reopening and how it compares to some of these White House guidelines for uh, reopening. And we've just decided to completely overhaul that story just because things are changing so quickly right now um, that it's really hard to write something today, Thursday, that will still be relevant on Sunday because things have just changed so much over the last 24, 48 hours. Who knows what the weekend is going to look like? Yeah. And as you mentioned, we're, we're, we're taping this on Thursday, so much can change between now and maybe when you're hearing this. But here's what we know right now. We'll start with Monday. This past Monday was a major moment in Georgia's coronavirus response because we had, we've been getting uh, we had been reporting for days that the governor was devising a, a strategy to start reopening the economy, that he was in talks with political and business leaders, that his administration was was going over certain things that might be able to do. And, uh, you know, one of the strongest indications we got was looking at maybe uh, phasing in some businesses, not all businesses that he shuttered, but some businesses. And I know that his aides were looking at restaurant capacity th- you know, questions about maybe letting some restaurants open with reduced capacity. But really, um, he dropped a bombshell um, on, on Monday um, when he announced that um, most of the businesses he had shuttered in his April 3rd shelter in place were going to reopen as long as they comply with with um, really broad safety guidelines that are going to be hard for uh, law enforcement officers to enforce. And secondly, he said they can open as early as Friday. And secondly, restaurants, which were banned from in-person dining, will be allowed to open on Monday if they meet um, other sets of guidelines that still haven't been released as of this taping. And then bars and night clothes will stay shuttered indefinitely. 
it was a it was a bombshell to say the least. Exactly. We were surprised, as you mentioned, we were really expecting him to kind of tinker at the edges of, of some of these restrictions. Maybe, you know, he'd deal with, with capacity of stores or or that sort of thing. We were not expecting him to be lifting a lot of these um, restrictions, especially on a lot of these, what we've been calling um, high contact kinds of businesses. Things like tattoo parlors, barber shops, massage parlors, that sort of thing where it requires the the people who are working there to actually be touching their their customers. We figured those might be some of the last businesses to reopen. But as you mentioned, the governor said, as long as they comply with social distancing, if they're wearing masks and gloves where they can, um, they're allowed to reopen as soon as Friday. And, you know, we were shocked to hear this, but it was also pretty amazing to see how swiftly it became apparent that a lot of mayors and people on his very own coronavirus task force were not informed of this decision at all. Uh, Mayor Keisha Lambs Bottoms uh, from Atlanta, a Democrat who he's been working really closely closely with over the last couple of weeks. They've had a very they've been very complimentary of one another and their strategies for dealing with the coronavirus. Even she was saying she had no heads up about this uh, when his announcement came on Monday, and and it was pretty remarkable to see over the week how increasingly critical she got of the governor. Um, and this all sort of culminated uh, by midweek where she gave an interview on cable news where she was saying, I don't think there's anything essential about going to a bowling alley right now. Yeah. And look, um, she's one of the members of the governor's coronavirus task force. You mentioned it just a second ago. This was a task force the governor set up to help guide him, help him forge his strategy. There were supposed to be counselors um, full of advisors, uh, business leaders and political leaders and um, Republican lawmakers who were allies of his and a a handful of Democrats. Uh, Among them is Bernice King, the the daughter of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and the executive director of the King Center, who is a co-chair of a task force, a community outreach committee on the task force that's really set about communicating um, to the public what the governor's orders mean. And even she said she was, she found out about the governor's order from a text message from a friend and that she's thinking about stepping down from the committee. The mayor is the, uh, the chair of a, of a committee on the task force. Uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms is the chair of a committee on the task force that is, deals with homeless and displaced people. Um, she found out from watching the press conference live on, on WSB. So you had a complete uh, rift there with the members of his task force, the people who were supposed to be advising him who had no idea this was coming. Uh, there was a very small circle that did. And look, we've got a lot of questions about why he chose those businesses like gyms, bowling alleys, nail salons, hair cutteries, tattoo parlors, massage therapists, all those that, that he's deciding to open. Well, really, the main reason I'd say is because those were about the only businesses that he closed. Um, remember, his, his order back in April 3rd was, was pretty um, limited in terms of uh, what businesses it actually shuttered. It, 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 it was included a shelter in place and guidelines for businesses that wanted to stay open, but it only, it only actually closed a small amount of those businesses you, you call you know, those, those close contact businesses. Um, so when he's, when he's starting to lift it, those are also the only businesses that, that are starting to reopen now. Among the few that, that he's not are bars and nightclubs. Um, and we're, we're still waiting to hear more about amusement parks and, and other things like that. Um, but that also led to a lot of the backlash because, um, of course, nationally, and, and, and folks in Georgia who haven't been following this as closely are like, why, why is he opening 
you know, bowling alleys. Why, why is that a, a state imperative? And, and the reality is it's, it's because that's one of the few places he actually closed in the first place. And you you listen to the governor talk about his motivation for all of this, and he keeps mentioning his own experience as a business owner. Uh, before he entered politics full time, he owned a, a construction company. He he built houses, and he talks a lot um, about how there were moments in in past economic recessions where he had workers he desperately wanted to find a way to pay, um, who he knew were were kind of scrambling to to feed their kids or pay their mortgages, and and he kind of knew the struggles of small businesses uh, that that were dealing with this right now, and especially ones that, that were ordered to be completely shuttered under his, his previous orders. Um, you know, one thing that the White House laid out for states to, to reopen, uh, last week they issued a set of, of guidelines, benchmarks that, that states are supposed to meet. Now, they are optional. They're, they're not binding, but they actually are pretty comprehensive in terms of what states should be meeting. It talks about a 14-day decline in the number of COVID-19 cases, in the number of people being treated in ERs for flu-like symptoms. It also talks about testing, bed capacity, that sort of thing. And the governor over and over again mentioned that Georgia is on track to meeting those those benchmarks, but he didn't give a ton of detail about where exactly um, you know the state is. And he kept mentioning, look at the DPH data, but it it's become hard to kind of track all of that. Um, and one thing worth noting is that he's relied really heavily on, on one model from the University of Washington, the IHME model, which initially said that, that Georgia was going to reach its peak, peak deaths and peak hospital capacities toward the end of April. And at some point in the past couple of weeks, it actually pushed uh, you know, the, the peak back. It mentioned Georgia may have reached the peak back in, in early April. And the governor has mentioned this model a lot in his briefings, showing that, that the situation is much better than I think people initially thought. Well, that model this week was changed to show that indeed the peak won't be coming for a couple more days. Um, so that's something that a lot of his critics have mentioned over the last couple of days in, um, in their rebuke of, of Kemp for doing this. Yeah. And, and, you know, he has said that, that Georgia is, if not, he has not said that Georgia has met those gating requirements from the White House, but he said it's on track. And lately we've seen some different um, chartage from the Department of Public Health that show what they call rolling data um, that they think gives a better sort of baseline. And and, and that data suggests that that the number of cases has plateaued. Public health experts, though, uh, couldn't have reacted more strongly to Kemp's um, suggestion. And we're not just talking about the the, the noted epidemiologists and infectious disease um, experts from around the state and the country that, that we and other media outlets often quote. We're also talking about President Trump's own um, healthcare advisors, Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci. Um, both of them um, were strongly opposed to the governor's plan and warned that it could trigger new outbreaks of the disease um, and said, look, you know, we're, we're not, Dr. Fauci said it, uh, you know, the other day, he said, look, we're not, we're not there yet. Um, I know that states want to start rolling back these restrictions, but, but don't leapfrog ahead of yourself. And that kind of leads us to, to the next uh, phase of this, because uh, at first it looked like the president was on board with the, the governor's um, stance. Um, he had been tweeting, uh, liberate, quote unquote, liberate certain states run by Democratic governors. Um, he had looked like he was egging on a lot of those protests that were they were urging an end to lockdowns um, in places like Michigan and Virginia and, and Washington state. Um, well, 
he and he actually had a phone call with the governor that we were told uh, was a productive and positive conversation um, shortly after the governor announced his plan. So um, things looked to be uh, going well until that drastically changed on Wednesday night, right, tomorrow. Exactly. And and he mentioned to, to reporters during his briefing that he thought it was too soon. Um, they should wait a little bit longer. Uh, quote, safety has to predominate. And would I do that? No, I want to protect people's lives, but I'm going to let him make his decision. But I told him I totally disagree. Um, and what a terrible position Ooh. that puts Brian Kemp in, uh, because this is a guy who who locked up the Republican nomination for governor here in Georgia back in 2018 after the president endorsed him over Casey Cagle. Um, this is a man who at every point has kind of taken pains to show just how in line with the president he is. Um, you know, he did appoint Kelly Loeffler to the, the Isaacson Senate seat over over Kemp's recommendation that he pick Doug Collins. But but still, he's been a, a steadfast ally for the president. And what does he do now? after this happens. Yeah, um, this was a, a devastating blow because, you know, th- this, is a, this is a president whose endorsement helped fuel his Brian Kemp's victory over Casey Hagel back in 2018's runoff. It was a huge moment in the campaign, probably uh, the biggest in, in, in the Republican side of the race. It was a surprise endorsement through Twitter you know, just a few days, just six days before the runoff, and it changed the ball game. Kemp was already ahead, but it really, really helped them turn a uh, what could have been a narrow victory into a blowout victory over Casey Cagle and propel them into the general election against Stacey Abrams. Um, these are two people who have who have long been allies, long been close. Um, after that endorsement, um, the last time President Trump visited um, Georgia was a, a trip to the CDC in early March, and who was right beside him? Governor Kemp. Um, Their staffs have been in close contact throughout these plans, and from all accounts, they were blindsided by the president's remarks on Wednesday night when, as you said, the president said uh, he strongly disagrees, um, and he also used the word totally disagrees, which is even stronger to me than strongly disagrees, um, with with George's approach. And he said, look, I— I respect what a governor, you know, I respect it's the governor's decision ultimately, but I wouldn't do it. Um, and and that's that's thrown the governor's whole strategy into disarray. He is still going forward with those plans um, right now. Um, he has said that uh, he believes his plan will uh, ensure the safety and the livelihood of, of Georgians. Um, so he's, he's pressing ahead. But certainly when you have um, the constellation of people against it that we have in Georgia. And it's Democrats and public health experts and um, the White House task force, coronavirus task force, city mayors of large cities and, and, and leaders of, 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 of influential business groups. And now you have President Trump. Um, it, it puts Georgia on really, really tricky footing right now, especially if you were to find out in a few weeks that, you know, one of these that an outbreak stemmed from from one of these businesses that opened. Exactly. And and it's a it's a big risk the governor was taking when he announced he was going to start lifting some of these restrictions on Monday. And a lot of these models that he's been relying on for for data and to figure out where the peak was, a lot of them were predicated on this idea that that Georgia would be under a shelter in place until May or even mid to late June. So this really does change the calculus a lot. It also changes a lot of political calculus for people. We saw almost immediately after the president uh, made his his uh, announcement of disapproval 
known. Uh, we saw immediately the the candidates in uh, for the the Senate race in the fall, the Kelly Leffler seat, start to take sides. You saw Doug Collins, the the congressman from Northeast Georgia, um, you know, who's challenging Kelly Leffler. Uh, agree with with uh, the president, saying leadership is about making decisions and communicating them effectively. And I don't think Kemp has done that. Uh, it's put Kelly Loeffler in a particularly tough spot too. She was doing a conference call with the the governor less than an hour before this this announcement came came through, and and she was very much in line with the governor, right, Greg? Yeah, um, and. Look, she's in the toughest spot of anyone, any political candidate, I should say, um, because um, she's the candidate who is Kemp's pick over over um, over Doug Collins. And Doug Collins, of course, was the president's favored pick, as we reported a lot last year. Um, since then, she's tried to curry favor with the president. Um, but now she's in the uh, weird spot of having to or at least being pressured to to choose between the two, and she won't do that. Um, <laughs> not surprisingly, she's refusing to pick sides, basically saying she agrees with both of them. So it's a weird time, but it's it's even look. Let's you know, putting the politics aside, it's even a, a stranger time for us, you know, everyday Georgians, regular folks, because um, a lot of a lot of people have their own personal decisions to make. Business owners have to decide uh, who have been just hemorrhaging money by staying closed have to decide whether or not to, to take the step of reopening on, on Friday um, if they're one of these businesses or, 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 or Monday if they're a restaurant um, or, or, or waiting it out. And then, of course, you know, those of us who don't own those businesses have to decide whether, as customers, whether we feel that it's, it's time to go patronize a restaurant, to go get a haircut, to go get their nails done, to go, you know, to go to one of these closed contact businesses. Um, is it too soon? And, and look, I think, I think a, what we've seen is a lot of Metro Atlanta businesses are going to remain shuttered. Um, but further flung areas out in, in, in rural Georgia, um, I went to Monroe County the other day and there were preparations underway. Um, a lot of businesses will stay closed, but there are preparations underway from, from others to, to, to get going. Um, I talked to one business owner who said, yeah, we, we can't afford to stay shut anymore. We don't have a choice. Um, so there are definitely going to be businesses that fling their doors open um, starting Friday. Exactly. And, and you know, there's the question of how they're going to keep their customers safe, but there's also a question of how they're going to keep their staff safe, which is something we've heard from a lot of restaurant owners in, in Metro Atlanta who, who said that say they're not going to open because they don't feel like they could keep their staff safe. Um, and it does lead, lead to an awkward or, or really gut-wrenching decision for a lot of these, um, you know, people who work at small businesses. A lot of them haven't had a paycheck in a long time. Some of them have gotten laid off or furloughed, and the, the ones that are lucky to still have a job, you know, but but who might be hurting and, and bills are starting to pile up. Do they put themselves in harm's way for a paycheck? Um, and are they even eligible for unemployment benefits or other help from the government if they're able to return to work? Um, and that's that's a constant story that we're going to be following uh, in the days ahead. Well, we are right in the middle of the, um, the we're right in the thick of it. Um, whether Georgia wants to be or not, we are on the vanguard of this debate about how quickly to reopen the economy. And tomorrow, I know you'll, you and I will be covering this over the next oh, however long this lasts. Thanks for uh, <laughs> Yes, we will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining. Thank you. Um, and stay safe and healthy. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. 
a celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.